This is Lindsay Garl. I race slingshots, and you're listening to the Four Wide Salute podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Four Wide Sloop Podcast presented by Line Decker Racing Engines. Go check out Line Decker Racing Engines on Facebook. Pop that name right into that search bar. You will see two options. You want to pick the one with the most recent post. On to our breaking news items. And let me tell you, I think Bishop might have broke the internet this past week. The Mark Richards Racing Team, of course, with driver Brandon Shepard, announced early this week that they will be running full-time with the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series this year. Bishop has, of course, ran with the World of Outlaws for the past several years, four-time champion. I believe the last time he ran Lucas Oil for points was 2016, so do the math. Pretty sure he won every World of Outlaw title since then. So, he is currently the point leader. And they made the decision after, you know, leaving Speed Weeks as the point leader to, uh, you know, I guess he wants to show his guys some of these tracks that they may not have been to yet um, and see what they can do. Honestly, I think the the competition's a lot tougher with Lucas, just my opinion. There are a lot of guys who are also just running a true outlaw schedule. They're going to go run wherever they feel like it. but this will be interesting to see what happens this year. Like I said, I think it's going to make things a lot more interesting. You're adding another car into the field there that could win any given night. So hope the rest of the guys running on the tour this year step up their game and give Bishop a run for his money, and I'm sure he's going to give them the same. In other news, on the sprint car side of things, Jason Sides has come forward with a big press release this past week in regards to his racing career, it has come out now that he apparently is not in the greatest of shape or his health is not great. He fully intends to compete with the World of Outlaws this year. Now, that being said, he is going to have his car at all the World of Outlaws shows. He is opening up his seat. So the way it sounds, if no one wants to drive his car that week, that, that weeknight or weekend or whatever the case may be, he will compete. Now, do I think he's going to go out there and try and blow the fence down every night? I don't. I don't. And we'll, we'll get to this past weekend in a second there with him. But um, gives guys uh, the opportunity, though, if they want it. We just seen on Twitter, Jason McNugle put a little holler out to him. I'm willing to travel and I have a seat, so we'll see what happens there. But you never know. You you may give the right guy the opportunity that could shine. So we'll see what happens. I, I give him a little bit of kudos here for coming forward, being truthful and honest with everything, and still going to take his show to every outlaw stop, which is pretty cool. On to our results. Sunday, last Sunday, of course. Fonda ran their Montgomery County Open, remembering Jack Johnson, 12,000 to win. Your modified victory went to none other than Stuart Friesen. 
And the 602 Great Sportsman portion of the event went to the 10% of Chad Edwards. Five Mile Point also ran the Southern Tier Open on Sunday, with the victory going to Nick Ryshinsky. And the 602 Great Sportsman feature went to Tyler Johnston. Sealands Grove ran their Ray Tilly Classic $5,088 to win. Your podium ended up being Anthony Macri. He is definitely on fire, guys. I believe that's five or six different tracks he's won at so far this year. That's impressive. So Macri with the victory over Brent Marks and Blaine Heimbach. Super late models also on the card. Last Sunday, Brett Shadle picking up the victory there. Speaking of late models, boy, was there a lot of it going on this past week. Tuesday kicked off Castrol Flow Racing Night in America, Eldora Speedway, $22,022 to win. What a feel the cars they had, 49 strong. Victory going to Kyle Larson over Jonathan Davenport and Brandon Overton. I got to tell you, the track was rough. They laid some new surface down. The weather hasn't been the greatest. It's been damp, cold. It was rough. There were guys that were opting to pull off. There were guys that broke some stuff that maybe wouldn't have been broke on a better surface. But the lead that Larson had was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, A late caution killed what would have been, I want to say, a three-quarter of a track lead over second. He was lapping up to so Kyle Strickler was the caution I think with two to go you would think okay two to go flat let's just pull it in for the night but actually and Kyle was running I think fourth at the time changing his tire and coming out to the tail end of the lead lap only put him in eighth place that's how many cars Larson lapped it was a show go back and check out the highlights on flow if you didn't get a chance to see that on to Wednesday, Castrol Floor Racing Night in America, Brownstown Speedway, Indiana, again, $22,022 to win. Victory going to Jonathan Davenport, led that one end-to-end over Bobby Pierce and Mike Marler. And I got to give a hats off. Tuesday, we saw the debut of the 7BC Sunshine Late Model. And Wednesday, we saw the debut of the 14 Mahindra Tractors Chase Briscoe late model. Some of these guys, they can't ignore the late models are putting on shows and they're running for a crap ton of money. Be prepared. Come next month now in June. The Dirt Million is going to be insane. I wonder if they're going to cap the car count because I can see them getting 80 to 90 late models, I'm thinking. Because you never know. It doesn't necessarily mean because of that much money on the line that a Davenport or Overton is a lock to win. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're probably going to be the favorites like Kentucky Derby has. But that doesn't mean your long shots can't step in a pile of doo-doo or, you know, rubber rabbit's foot or whatever they want to do and find the hookup, the setup, what have you. You never know. I think they're going to get a crap ton of cars. I really do. Also on Wednesday was the Short Track Super Series Diamond State 50 Delaware International Speedway, 5,000 to win. 
victory going once again to Stuart Friesen. I believe he's won the last three or four of those now. Over Michael Moreska and your home track defending champion, Jordan Watson, who led a bunch of that at the beginning and was hanging in there for the podium. 602 great sportsman victory did go to Nick Van Wickle. Thursday, All-Stars were supposed to be at Bedford Speedway for 6,000 to win. That was canceled at the end of last week due to tire shortage. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's still there. It's still happening. It's This is going to happen. Car counts this past weekend saw a lot of tracks that were down on cars. Uh, Williams Grove had less than 20. We had less than a full field on Friday. It's... It's just what it is at the moment. I'm thankful for who we get and when we get them. And that's that. On to our weekend national events. Bristol Bash. Friday and Saturday, World of Outlaw Sprints and Late Models. Friday night's 410 Sprint feature for 25 grand went to Logan Schuhart over AA Ron Reutzel and Craig Kinzer in the podium. Congrats to Logan. He's had a rough start to the year. I don't believe it's anywhere near what they expected. So to see him be able to lock up a victory here, maybe get the monkey off his back. Hoping it turns around and goes in the right direction for him. Late model victory went to Jonathan Davenport over Ricky Weiss and Dennis Herb Jr. Told you guys the other week, once he gets that first victory, look out. And now he's got three big ones in a matter of a week. He won 50 grand down in Florida last Saturday, locked up Wednesdays at Brownstown for 22, and now he picked up 25 grand here on Friday's portion of the Bristol Bash. He's awake and alive, folks. I'd be worried. And maybe that's what happened. Logan Schuhart, that could happen to him too. So we'll see. Saturday night's finale, Bristol Bash. Once again, 25 grand to win sprint car feature going to Spencer Baston. First World of Outlaw sprint car win. I'm impressed because if you go back and watch that footage, Kyle Larson gave him a hell of a time and he could have very easily backed down, put that car up against between the wall down to front stretch. And I thought it could have ended badly, but he prevailed, picked up that win, like I said, over Kyle Larson. And there again, Logan Schuhart, podium, back-to-back, could be the turn of the tide for the Shark Racing team. Late model victory going to the Manitoba Missile, Ricky Weiss over Jonathan Davenport. There he is again. And Chris Smokey Madden rounding out the podium. Fun fact uh, for the late model portion. So they ran, this is now four features the whole time in Bristol. Four different winners. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Four different winners. Um, And also, Sprint Cars, Jason Sides, last night received the KSE Hard Charger Award as they give out at every event, going from 23rd to 20th. Now, I bring this up as he only completed two laps. First time in outlaw history, guy completes two laps, wins a hard charger. So it goes off of your original starting position, which was 23rd. There were guys who did not come out to take the green in the feature. Therefore, he instantly gains 
a couple of spots. And it was enough. It was enough. Now, does that show you what kind of passing was going on? It kind of does. But can't fault the guy. Picked up three spots. Got himself some cash for it. So uh, probably the easiest hard charger I've seen one anywhere. Uh, on another note from Bristol, and I'm going to bring this up as a race director. Kyle Larson had an issue on Friday night. He was the only person doing both divisions. I applaud him for his efforts. He was put to the rear of the late model feature because he was late to staging. Now, it's the rule. And if he knew the rule ahead of time and he had concerns, I don't know that I'm going to have enough time here to maneuver things. I don't know what their pit situation was, where they parked next to each other, where Silva and the uh, Romley car were there next to each other. Could he easily hop from one to the other? I don't know the deal there. But if you have concerns like that, and I'm any driver out there that participates under my direction here, if you have any concerns, go talk to your race director. Tell them. Tell them I have a concern with this. For this reason, whatever the case may be, they can evaluate it and maybe make an exception. Oh, you know what, Kyle? I understand your your issue here. We'll be a little bit lenient with that because you are competing in both divisions or something to that effect. I'm not saying they would have approved it, but you got to ask, right? Situation un unrolled itself at Grandview last weekend when they had they, two weekends ago, they had a rain out. One of the drivers could not make the next week and they were not redrawing their positions because they did a draw. The car owner went to discuss it. They approved a driver change. There you have it. But they did the right thing. They went and they asked. What's the worst they're going to say? No. Okay. Well, at least you tried, right? So, I mean, in this case... I mean, Kyle did go from the rear to like fifth on Friday. So who knows what it would have looked like if he would have started up where he was supposed to. But to all you guys out there, if you have any concerns about anything, look, I have guys that message me because they're running late. They're not going to make check-in and they want to make sure that they make the lineup. Get a hold of me, message me, text me, call me, whatever the case may be. That's, that's putting in an effort. So I think he or the team could have tried a little bit here to prevent any issue. That's just my opinion, though. On to the All-Stars Friday, Lernerville Speedway, 6,000 to win. 100% picking up his second All-Star victory of his career over Sunshine, Tyler Courtney, and Greg Wilson running out the podium. Saturday night's show at Sharon Speedway, the Buckeye Cup. 6,000 to win. Go back and watch this replay of the last few laps. Hobart was gone for days. Caution came out, regrouped him up together. He took off again. And all of a sudden, things started changing in the last three laps, I believe. Go back on flow. Uh, check that one out. Cap Henry stole one, ladies and gentlemen. Cap Henry stole the victory from Brent Marks and PPM also running out the podium. 
USCS National Tour Friday and Saturday, I-75 Speedway in Tennessee. Friday night's event going to Jared Horseman, Sean Valenti in second, Morgan Turpin in third. And last night's finale, Morgan Turpin with the victory over Terry Gray and Devin Doby. Lucas Oil Late Models Friday, Bullet Race Engines 50, Tri-City Speedway in Illinois, 12,000 to win, rained out. Saturday, Macon Speedway, also in Illinois, 15,000 to win, also rained out, unfortunately. I gave a, a little bit of credit to T-Mac. They took their show to Florence for a regular point show as a test and tune, and he managed to take the check. Couldn't have seen that coming. Ultimate Super Late Model Series, Saturday, Jack Sturrett Memorial Modoc Raceway in South Carolina was postponed. Comp Cam's Super Dirt Series Late Models Friday, old number one speedway in Arkansas. So happy to see the name Billy Moyer Jr. back in action, picking up the victory over Mo Bags, Morgan Bagley, and BJ Robinson. Their Saturday night show at Riverside International Speedway in Arkansas, unfortunately, was postponed. USAC Sprints Friday, Larry Rice Classic, Bloomington Speedway, Indiana. They got everything in, had the cars on the track for the feature, and the rain hit. Fortunately, they did not get it back. Postponed, the feature will be made up at a later date to be determined in the future. Saturday night show, the spring showdown, Tri-State Speedway, Hobstadt, Indiana, did get rained out. Local stuff here. Of course, Friday, Big Diamond Speedway. Modified victory going to Craig Von Dorn. That would be win number 101 at the Diamond. 602 crate feature going to first-time winner James Coslo. Roadrunner victory to Andrew Fayish III. And Excel 600 modifieds were in town. Corey England taking home the checkered. Outlaw Speedway, modified victory going to Brady Foltz. King of the Ring elimination format event going to the Dr. Danny Johnson. Hoosier Sportsman victory to Alex Payne, American Racer Sportsman to Carter Crooker. Albany Saratoga, modified victory going to Jesse Mueller. Utica Rome season opener, Matt Shepard picking up the victory there. Peyton Talbot, victorious with the 602 crate sportsman at Utica Rome. Penn can open up their season with Brett Tonkin taking home the victory. Fulton kicked off night number one on Friday for the High Banks holdup weekend. Lucas Oil ESS Sprints, Danny Varon, first time in that new car, taking home the win. Williams Grove 4-10 victory going to the Daredevil, Devin Borden. URC 360-358 challenge event. The 361 out with Josh Weller picking up the victory. Bedford, 86th, 86th annual. That's a lot. 86th annual. Billy Wynn Classic Super Late Model event going to the truth, Greg Satterley. US 13, Delaware International, USAC East Coast in the house Friday. Alex Bright picking up the victory. Rush Late Model victory going to Ben Scott. And Trevor Collins taking home the win with the Super Late Model feature. On to Saturday, Grandview Speedway, Brett Cressley victorious in the Modifieds, and Parker Golden in the Sportsman. New Egypt, Brandon Grasso has got to get a bounty on him at some point. Kid is on fire down there. He 
didn't win one time and it was a second. I mean, come on. Grasso victorious, his brother ended up runner-up, which is pretty cool. The Northeast Wingless Sprints, victory going to Mick Diagostino once again. ARDC Midget feature going to Brian Carbert. Bridgeport, USAC East Coast in town Saturday. Briggs Danner picking up the victory. Brandon Shipley getting the win in the 602 Great Sportsman event. And Mass 305s were on the card with Dave Brown as your winner. Got, I love Dave Brown's wing on his car. The 44 in the top of it in the middle there. Upside down for what reason? I have no idea. But it's funny. And he leaves it that way. I'm going to have to ask him about that. Orange County. Big block victory going to Dylan Stoyer. And I believe this is his first big block win. Could be wrong. I think it's definitely his first big block win with the Zuby team. Small block victory going to Corey Cormier, which I believe this might be his first small block win in Orange County. And 602 crate feature going to Rafael Carson. Fonda, Matty DiLorenzo, first win in nine years at Fonda, getting the win over Stu. And Chad Edwards picking up his second win of the year so far in the 602 crate sportsman event. Woodhall, modified victory going to Donnie Lawson. 602 crate sportsman Josh Nuberga picking up the win. Five mile point spring championship season. 602 crate sportsman win to Seth Zacharias. Fulton and their day number two of the High Banks hold up weekend. Dirt car 358 event going to Billy Decker, the Franklin Flyer. And the Dirt car sportsman had two features first going to Matt Janzik and the second to Chris Mackey. Thunder Mountain also had their season opener last night. Modified victory going to Michael Maresca. And your Dirt Car Sportsman event going to Alan Fink. Lebanon Valley, if you guys can find a replay of this, let me know. One to go at the white flag. Andy Bichetti is in third place. A checkered went to Andy Bichetti. Bichetti is your winner of the big block event. Andrew Buff and the 602 Crate Sportsman event. Land of Legends, victory went to Lightning, Larry White. Which I'm very surprised that he did not have a dirt car 358 to run Fulton. Interesting. So Larry gets to win at Land of Legends. And your 602 crate victory going to Carl Comfort. Airborne Speedway. I applaud these guys. One lap into their dirt car sportsman feature. They threw the yellow due to lack of visibility, pulled the cars off the track, went out there and tried to water this thing down. And after about 10, 15 minutes, they made the decision to postpone. I respect that. I respect that. We don't need guys at risk. Don't. Not with visibility. That's nothing a driver could control. Mm-mm. No, I, I applaud them for that. Port Royal, 4-10 victory going to Logan Wagner. Once again, I believe that's the third on the year. Super elite models. Colton Flinner is still perfect. They did run a Australian pursuit elimination type deal. That went to Mike Loopfer for, I believe, $1,000. Pass 305 feature going to Kenny Hefner. Lincoln Speedway, they were the winner of the weekend in Central PA as far as car count goes with 29. Danny Dietrich, victorious. 
in the four tens and former super sportsman driver Frankie Herr picking up the victory with the 358s. Seelands Grove also on the card here at Super Late Models and URC for their second stop of the weekend. Jeff Ryan picking up the victory with the Super Late Models and it's fitting Seelands Grove Ford sponsored 35 of Jason Schultz picking up the URC feature. Those are your results onto our upcoming events. And I mean, there's a bunch of stuff coming. Today, BAPS Motor Speedway Kevin Gerbrecht Classic, also event number one of the Tri-Track PA Spec Modified Series, unfortunately did succumb to the forecast early this morning. Uh, USAC Silver Crown going on right now. Sumar Classic, Terra Hot Action Track, Indiana. Check it out on Flow. They are live now. All-Stars, Waynesfield Raceway Park, six grand to win today in Ohio was rained out already. Tuesday, Super Dirt, King of the Big Blocks, Bridgeport Motorsports Park in New Jersey, 7,500 to win. The expected car list is a bunch of studs, big field of good competition. Check it out down there in Bridgeport. If you can't, it is on Dirt Vision. World of Outlaw Sprints, Friday and Saturday, Let's Race 2. Nights one and nights two, of course, Eldora Speedway, 10,000 to win each night. Also on the card are the USAC Sprints. They are racing also for 10 grand to win each night. World about all eight models, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Dairyland Showdown, Mississippi Thunder Speedway in Wisconsin. Yes, not Mississippi. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday's finale paying 30000 to win. And Lucas Oil Late Models also Friday and Saturday. Friday is the 18th annual John Bradshaw Memorial Ponderosa Speedway in Kentucky, 12000 to win. And Saturday, 36th annual Ralph Latham Memorial. And this is why TMAC went to Florence, because they're at Florence on Saturday. Florence Speedway, also in Kentucky, 15,000 to win. As always, big thank you to all of our followers and subscribers. Like and share the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Smash that five-star rating button on all your podcast platforms. And of course, a big thank you goes out to Kenny Bruce and Bill Brown and Company Incorporated for the support. Those were your results. Those were your upcoming events. And we are now at today's episode. Got the inaugural three-time USAC East Coast champion, Stephen Dravicki, on today's show. And we dive into a whole bunch of different stuff, talk about his career, his midget career, his opinion on how we can get the ARDC midgets back up and running again to where they're pulling good amount of cars. And, uh, you know, kind of tease him a little bit about you know, he's running up against guys like Briggs and Alex now with them USAC cars, and those guys were painting his ass because they're tough. They're tough to beat. And, uh, you know, just do a little digging. Check out Steve's opinion on some of the issues we're having with tires and parts and, and whatnot, and his plans to uh, go run some other stuff that's not necessarily East Coast. So check it out here momentarily, and uh, we're going to get rolling. I'm actually currently trying to work on an episode booking for you guys for next week. Hope you guys are going to enjoy it. But 
that's it. I'm going to go chill out downstairs, watch some Silver Crown, and uh, get this episode out to you guys. So, as always, until next time, enjoy the show. Bill Brown & Company, located in Hamilton, New Jersey, has been in the printing and promotional products business since 1946. Current owner and proud Dirt Track supporter Ken Bruce has been with the company since 1987 and has continued to deliver the customer service that Bill Brown & Company has delivered since the beginning. Kenny supports Dirt Track Racing through the sponsorship of the Number 11 Modified, driven by Danny Heber, along with sponsorship of bonuses at Big Diamond Speedway and the Short Track Super Series, and is proud to be a sponsor of the 4 Wide Salute Podcast. You can reach Bill Brown & Company at 609-586-1408 or by email at kbruce at billbrowninc.com. You can also check out the promotional products on the website at www.billbrowninc.com. In this week's episode of the Four Wide Salute Podcast, I have with me someone I would like to say is a wingless specialist himself, Mr. Steve Jericki. So let's start off with the exciting weekend coming up. A nice doubleheader for you. Yeah, uh, start the weekend tomorrow down at uh, Delaware International and then uh, followed up with uh, Bridgeport on Saturday. So um, busy weekend. Hopefully everything goes smooth and uh, get some good results. So I, I know we don't like to talk about it, but we kind of have to talk about it. Do you happen to have tires? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay for now, I guess I'll say. Uh, you know, I, I got a couple, um, you know, just I, I usually try and get a few at the beginning of the year to get me through through the starting point. Um, so I, I got a couple left. Um, you know, I'm good for, for, you know, maybe three, four races, depending on tire wear kind of thing. Um, you know, it just depends. Uh, you know, Williams Grove, um, you know, unfortunately with the, the weather, the way it was, it was a little harder on tires for our show. Um, Port we were at and we didn't touch them. I'm going to run both of them again this week. So it just depends on, um, you know, the track, how things work out. And, um, you know, if that couple that you have left stretches to be two races or, two months. So, um, you know, hopefully the tracks, you know, help do their part right now and, and, you know, helping to keep tire wear down. Um, and that allows us to, to extend what we do have, you know, longer, but, uh, it's kind of up in the air for everyone. Yeah. I've asked some modified guys this question. I'm going to ask you the same thing, knowing that you don't know what's coming as far as tires goes. Are you driving any different are you being more cautious with what you're using or, you know, how you're uh, handling those precious things right now? I, I mean, I don't think you can change the way you drive a race car. Um, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're worried about that, then I think it's probably you're, you're almost beat before you get to the track in a way. Um, you know, you have to, you have to still race when you're out there and, um, you know, tires in, in general, you know, you can, you can overheat them. You can do things in the car to help, you know, tires last throughout a race and different things as well but as far as thinking like i need to run this tire tomorrow i think that's a hard balance to have you know in the car to think that you're going to try and you know race it that way if if tire wear is good it's not an issue um if it's if it's bad at a racetrack you're you're kind of conserving anyway um from the standpoint of the team it's just doing everything you can to run them you know maybe longer than you would have in previous years and, and things like that you know flipping them or or, you know, regrooving them when they start to get low or, or different things like that that you can do to kind of maybe use them, use them at least in a, in a couple heat races or, you know, if you can get a, a couple features out of them and, and things like that. So it, it's just 
maybe using them longer, um, doing things to, to run them as long as possible. And maybe something that you'd have thrown away three years ago is now a, a good heat race tire for a couple more heat races or something like that. Right. No. And, and that's exactly how modified guys answered it too. They said, if you think about that, you're already beat before you leave the house. But now on the flip side of that, I saw a nice video that uh hot Carl put up the other week. And he said that he's figured out ways to resolve this problem. And the first thing he said was for tracks and series to allow guys to treat them, soak the tires, do the illegal stuff you're not allowed to do or supposed to do. And that would solve a whole lot of issues. Do you think that would make a difference? I, I don't think so. Um, I've, I don't do it. I've never done it. I've never, never tried to do it. It's, it's one of them things that it's just, I haven't. And that's a, that's a hundred percent honest answer mm-hmm. of, Never something I got myself involved into to know how it all works and every benefit of it. I, I believe that, you know, I've, I've talked to people, you hear things and things like that. But, I mean, I believe right. there's, there's ways that they feel like they can make them last longer. Um, but I don't know how valid all that is. And at the end of the day, it still costs a lot of money and time. So, uh, I don't know that you're saving anybody any money no. um, when you got to spend that much to try and make a tire last longer and you spent what? you know what it is. Uh, it's, it's an unfortunate deal that everybody's in and it's not one manufacturer. And, you know, I I know everybody wants to open tire rules and I'm not saying that there's not a advantage to a little bit of competition in, in different forms of the tire market. But, um, unfortunately it's kind of the same across the board with a lot of parts. I mean, this isn't the only thing that people can't get. I mean, motor rebuilds are, are really tricky right now. And, and even, you know, different car parts are just hard to get from steerings to wheels and this and that. And, you know, one month it's okay. And then they, they go for, you can get this part instead and you can't get another part. So it's kind of the racing industry. I think the whole world, you know, honestly, it's, um, it's just hard to, to understand supply chain stuff and, and maybe how we are, where we are and, and what the full, you know, plan would be to get back on track. I think it's a tough situation, um, to be in April and be out of tires. Um, you know, when things are really just starting to ramp up across the country because there's a lot of places that haven't even started yet. Uh, so I think that's kind of probably alarming more than anything that had happened so early in the year and not, you know, at least halfway or three quarters of the way through the season that, you know, supplies ran out. So I think that part's alarming. Um, but unfortunately, we just take it take it as it is week by week and month by month. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, from a track's perspective of the whole thing about – allowing guys to do that is once you open that can of worms guys are going to keep doing it you're not going to stop them from doing that as i'm sure there are guys across the country that still do it that aren't supposed to but i think if you allow it i think guys are gonna just that's just opening the dam i mean (laughs) that's creating a a monster agreed i mean if you give if you give racers an inch they're gonna take they're going to take a foot, whether it be tires or motors or, oh yeah, you know, where it's just the nature of what, what racers do. And, and I agree. I think it's something that if you, if you end up going that route, you're never, ever going to get it back. And, and it's just, I think the majority of the people don't want to get involved in it for, for various reasons. Just again, like I say, it's, it's not something that's cheap and the, the time that is involved in it. It's for most of the, the working racers. It's, it's just something that you really don't even want to get, get into. I don't think. No, no. And, 
You know, to your point, it is alarming that we're only at the end of April. And now this has been going on for the last, what, year and a half, relatively. What I'm concerned with now is what's going to happen for PA Speed Week? What's going to happen Indiana Sprint and Midget Week? Where you're talking nine, ten days in a row, guys are going to need tires. And then on top of that, Hell Tour might be shot. Because that's a whole month. Yeah, I mean, it. agree. I mean, even just in – there's a lot of tracks in the Midwest. I mean, Knoxville just started this past week and some of the other sprint tracks. And, I, I, you know, I'm more of the sprint car side of it. I don't follow all of the other, you know, speedways and stuff. But, I mean, there's a lot like Indiana sprint car stuff with the non-wing stuff really only starts the beginning of April. And, you know, a lot of, like I said, your, your wing tracks in the Dakotas and Knoxville and those areas, they're only starting, you know, now or in the next week or so. So there's a lot of places – you know, really Pennsylvania and California start before everybody else. I mean, the all-stars just started yeah. a couple weeks ago. And and so that's where it's like, as, as the, everything ramps up the same with the modifieds. I mean, you know, New York tracks, I don't think started, you know, in, in February, they're obviously no. just starting in the last couple of weeks. And so it's a, you know, it's definitely as things ramp up and we're not even to the, yeah, like you said, speed week and, and hell tour and, you know, all the things that go with that. And, and we're in these situations and it's, it's a, problem for the racers and, it, and it's it's going to affect the track because you're going to take your 30 car you know your 30 car field and make it 15 or 20 all the nights because guys are going to be picking and choosing what they can do and so it's it's a trickle down to to everybody at the end of the day and that's the that's really the the bad part yeah i mean on the flip side of that the fact that you run a touring series you don't run a weekly track that's probably a good thing for you at this moment because I can't imagine trying to do both of those at the same time. I mean, hell, some of these guys are still running two, three nights a week, plus God knows what else. I don't know how they're doing it. But, yeah, in your case, thankfully, you know, you're running one once a weekend, sometimes twice. Sometimes there's a week off. So it's not as hectic. But let's roll that into the other question. What else do you have lined up besides running – the USAC East Coast deal this year? Uh, I'm going to run uh, a dozen or so, 410 shows non wing, um, travel out, uh, out to the Midwest a little bit, run some boss shows, um, try and hit um, Indiana, Ohio, like Eldora, maybe a trip to Indiana or two later in the season uh, when, when, you know, work and free time allows and uh, run Eastern Storm when they can hear, assuming, you know, again, a six week, you know, a six week stretch, of, you know, in, in here that all that happens given everything going on but it'll be about a dozen non-wing 410 shows and then uh potential to maybe uh to run a midget a couple times there dc they're trying to uh, make a resurgence with with that division so um you know possibility of making a few starts there depending how schedules and timing aligns and some things like that so uh busy enough with um with work and everything going on so it's about a 40 to 50 race schedule depending on you know weather and rain outs and how how some you know things work out with just obviously tires and everything else and and all those kind of things so it uh it'll be a busy year for sure and that's not horrible either to say only that many races i mean that i think is an equal balance i know for those that don't know you're very hard at work so it's not a matter of how many races can you run each week to try and uh fill your pockets up. It's a matter of, you know, doing the right thing. When you decide to go out into the Midwest, how are you selecting what events you want to run? Is it purely just based on availability or are there certain events or tracks that 
you want to hit? Uh, probably more events that we want to hit um, and, and what makes sense. Um, I know last year uh, we were trying to make it to uh, Eldora this coming weekend for their Let's Race 2 event. Um, don't quite have the motor back yet um, for the 410 deal, so parts and everything else with that. But um, I like to go to Eldora. I like going out there. It's a, a fun place that's kind of reminds me of here, I guess, and maybe we run a little better there because of, because of that. So definitely want to go out there for uh, the Four Crown Nationals, and they run – Gas City on Thursday, so um, wanted to do that last year, and Gas City actually rained out, so we'll try and do that again this year. Um, Kokomo SmackDown we did last year. That was cool to get to go see Kokomo and, and you know, a place that I've never never seen and really kind of, you know, never seen anything probably like it with a, a sprint car and how you race that. And just the Midwest tracks are so much different than here, so just kind of pick and, and really at the, just see different places, and um, it's more like bucket list checking off tracks and and things at the same time in Indiana. And then also like, you know, what makes sense to not go there for a single day event or, you know, things like that, where it, it makes sense to go make it a trip or a, you know, a vacation trip almost, I guess, if you want to call it that. Right. Right. So is there some tracks that you may not have on your list for this year that are still on that bucket list? Um, I'm, I don't know for sure. I mean, probably most of Indiana would be cool to see at one point or another. Um, it's hard to do that from here without going out multiple weekends other than sprint week, which is a huge grind in itself. You know, when you're not set up with, you know, the equipment and the stuff to do it from here, you know, to do something like Indiana sprint week is, is a grind for sure. And that's just something that I don't think, you know, at this point for sure is anything that we're, geared up to do um but i don't know just um i think a lot of the tracks out there are probably on the list um whether that'll happen for me or not you know in, in my time i don't know i mean um as a racer i want to get out to knoxville whether i race it or just to go see like the knoxville nationals or something that's one that you know as a racetrack and a race fan aspect i want to definitely see but um i don't know I, i've seen a lot of places in, in my time of racing and i guess when when you see that many, they kind of all start to look the same, just a little different. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you're right in a sense. As I get to see more tracks over time, the first thing you do when you go in a new track is you go, Oh, that banking kind of looks like this track, or Oh, these grandstands kind of look like this place. And you start comparing them all the time. It's not a matter of just going, ah, oh, I'm here. No, it's, oh, yeah, that, oh, that's how they do it over there. It, it starts, you start to compare them all. And you're right. They all start to kind of run together. Um, yeah, absolutely. You did bring up ARDC Midgets. So, of course, you have some championships under your belt. Back when ARDC was running heavy, um, I got to give it to those guys for trying to, to ramp this thing back up and to bring midgets back around again on a consistent basis. What do you think it's going to take to get it back to where it was at one point or even better? That's a tough question. <laughs> it's a, it's a tough question. And I don't know the answer. Right? It's a, it's a tough question because I think, Part of the problem is Pennsylvania is so class saturated already. You're right. That it's hard to bring back something. And I think it's just the 600 micros have gotten so big. Um, and I think when when the, the kids are, I call them kids, but when the kids are all coming out of there, I think their next step is to go to a sprint car. 
um, whether they look at the wingless series or whether they want to go the wing route and run a URC or a 305 for a couple of years. Some of them almost go right to a 410. But I, I think it's it's a jump where the midget just seems, while it is the like the Midwest, that's the jump. You go from 600s to midgets to, you know, to sprint cars. In here, it's, it's trying to get it sold, I guess, to be back to that point where, um, you know, you would get the kids coming out of there to go to midgets. And I think that's just a tough sell in this area when you're so saturated with wing sprint car stuff and, you know, and really a, in a wing sprint car area, um, yes. you know, and then from the modified side, the crate division has blown up to be, you know, a huge division. I know for sure on the modified side. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're jumping to a, there, there's enough like low level, you know, three or five crate divisions of that nature that you can go to. And I think you're just going right to the big car instead of spending the time and the years to, um, you know, learn a new class to buy into something for three or four years to eventually just move up to the next thing anyway. Um, you know, I think they're trying to do a good job of keeping things cost effective, um, keeping things where it's uh, <clears throat> realistic for for the teams and, and keep it where it's both they can the, the guys that had cars from before can still run, but trying to get the the money cost down on the motors to be in a, you know, an affordable series. Um, I think they have some good things in place. I guess time will tell how, you know, how effective it is and, and if it gets to a point where it grows, I hope it does. I, I think midgets are some of the, the coolest race cars, you know, that I've ever raced. Um, there's just something about them that, you, you know, they're, they're just cool little vehicles, but it's a, it's a tough division. I think you're seeing it even across, across the country. It's not what, uh, what midget racing was 10 years ago. Um, no. like I said, the Midwest, I think it's surviving, but I don't know that I would say it's thriving like it like it was at one point. No, unfortunately, it's not. And you're right. The 600 division has blown up to where I think, honestly, I think it looks bad when they were running 600 Speed Week with the Eastern Swing for USAC. And you'd have 25 midgets show up at Kutztown and there's 95 micros. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't look good. It doesn't. I I don't think as anyone with USAC or even flow at that point, that doesn't look good for what you're trying to put on. Um, But there, there's so many routes to go. You're exactly right. There's so many different directions you can go. And midgets have just kind of almost because it fell off for a little bit. It's like completely forgotten almost. Yeah, it's it's not on the radar of people to to look at, and it's you know you you have to try and get it back to a something that people look into, and that's that's a hard sell you know to do. And and I, I think if somebody knew the answer, they'd probably be a millionaire running ten divisions. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's tough. It's uh it's a hard deal, and you're you're starting back. You know, I mean, obviously purse money and everything plays into it, but you're you're at a basically filler division because of the car counts that you can bring when you can only bring, you know, 13 to 18 cars. So you're in that third level filler division as you try and start and grow it. Well, then your purses aren't big to start. It's kind of just the trickle down effect of, of trying to rebuild something. And, um, you know, I think that's probably, probably the hardest thing if they can get through the first couple of years and maybe get, get the car count build up then maybe it can continue to, to grow and take off. Yeah. I mean, I think, the casual midget fan that doesn't watch Power Eye stuff or doesn't watch, uh, you know, all the USAC midget shows or anything anywhere else or even all that stuff in Oklahoma, there's a ton going on. I think 
they watch the Chili Bowl and they're like, holy shit, there's 360 cars. Well, these things are like everywhere. Well, they don't get 360 at Knoxville for no. Well, of course not, because they don't understand the rules behind it. Like these most of these cars that are out here ain't legal for use of that competition. Yeah. And I think they yep. I think it sets the bar so high when you see that. And it's also the off season. No one else is doing anything else. This is all it is. It's this in Tulsa. That's it. Yeah, and the Chili Bowl is one of them that a hundred of those people, unfortunately, should probably be even in a race car, yep. let alone at the Chili Bowl racing. So, you know, I mean, between the renter rides and between all the stuff that goes into the Chili Bowl, I I, I can't believe the car counts are still where they are. Um, but I think it's just it turned into such a bucket list event. Yes. Um, that it makes it where it doesn't it doesn't really matter. There's always going to be cars, and um, you know, there's a lot of cars that run that race only. And that's the only the only race they see all year. And, you know, Keith had 15 there this year. So, I mean, you don't take 15 to any race across, you know, the country the rest of the year. So, you know, the big teams are also bringing twice the amount of cars to that event. And and I think that's where the depth of the Chili Bowl in the last five, six years has really, you know, just, you know, exploded is these big teams that are bringing, you know, 10, 12, 15 cars. It uh, it really made the depth of field you know, a lot, a lot deeper and a lot more competitive. Well, I mean, Swindell cars, are the prime example of cars that never see the track anywhere else, any other time of the year. But I do think with what Larson's been able to do and Bell, and now they've got some of these other guys switching over. We've seen Chase Elliott, just seen Chase Briscoe run a three oh what a three sixty or three oh five sprint car this past weekend and now a super late model yesterday. I it's crossing over, which is really cool. So to see it come back this direction to where these guys are wanting to do this bucket list type stuff, like you said, which is exactly what that is. But um, no, I mean, hopefully that division can, you know, spring back. And I, I think, honestly, the East Coast deal with the 360s, having the USAC banner was huge. I think that gave it recognition to start with right off the bat, where if it would have been, you know, these guys trying to come up with a 360 wingless division around here with nothing behind it, almost like ARDC does, who knows what it would be at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, that definitely, it definitely helped bring, uh, bring notoriety or, or, you know, a name brand kind of feel to the series um, that way. And uh, it's, it's, you know, when you think about it, it's, I guess it's your, five now at this point, you know, where it's, where it's turned into from having, you know, 10 race schedule the first year, you know, to a 31 or 32 race schedule this year. I mean, we lost a couple now with some of the tire stuff, and, you know, but it being basically right. a 30, 30 plus race schedule here is, um, you know, it's, it's a huge, uh, you know, a huge growth, you know, period in, in a short amount of time and in a really, you know, competitive series market, you know, area, to begin with. So I, I think there's, there's been a lot of good, um, you know, car counts are a little, little up and down this year. Um, and I think that's just due to a lot of, a lot of factors in, in the economy and, and parts yeah. and everything else. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully they, they level off and we settle in with a good, you know, a good car count once we get to the summer months. But, um, you know, weather hasn't cooperated too much either this year for, no. for a lot of the, a lot of the tracks and, um, so, you know, hopefully once we get into the into the summer months, it kind of levels out. We got, you know, good competitive, competitive car count and, and uh, you know, we have a good summer. 
So how how was it being the first champion of that series, let alone back to back champions of that season to kick off? How was that setting that bar and being able to be written in history like that? Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely a cool thing to, uh, you know, to be the first one um, and then to, to back it up the next year and, and to get three in a row was was, you know, really, really cool. And just to do it, it's it's tough to um, it's p- tough to put together, you know, consistent years where just things don't go wrong. And, and that was, you know, so to, to get three in a row is really cool um, to get the first one and, and be that first champion, you know, in the record books and, and things like that was definitely special to me. Um, you know, as, as things, you know, we kind of got into it and, and it was a bunch of winged racers and, and I had, you know, non-wing midget experience. A couple of us did, but none of us had non-wing sprint car experience. So it kind of started slow and, you know, it, it, by the middle of the first year, um, when we lo- started looking at lap times and just looking back at how races were, you know, even in 2019 and looking at them first couple races in 18, you know, the growth in a year of how, you know, just everybody in the group continue to grow and, and, you know, we got more people in and, and so it's evolved from, you know, a schedule, but it's involved from the racing. And I mean, that shows like Eastern storm last year and, and stuff where we can, you know, we can be competitive against them guys. I mean, it's tough cause we bowl the four ten, and then it doesn't change everything, but it changes enough where it's still, it's still a little different. And then you race against the best in the business, but we can be competitive at that level. And that's where this series also has, has just continued to, to grow. And you got guys, guys pushing each other to be better and more competitive. And, um, you know, some of the 600 guys that come in they're, they're, they're right on the ball. I mean, the 600 stuff, and that's the one thing about it is they come out of the 600 and they're, they're ready to go. It's not a, Oh, I'm in a big car. I'm going to have to figure this out. It seems like they come out of the 600s just up to speed and, and ready to race pretty much right away. Now, I know why I've had this conversation a bazillion times. I swear to God, I racing has something to do with it. It's like endless practice seat time just with your muscle memory of just being in a cockpit, wheeling back and forth. I swear to God, it has some kind of effect on these kids, you know, to your point, kids, that they're just elbows up right out of the gate. Yeah, and it, it probably is. I mean, I do it. I got a couple leagues I'm in. So pretty much starting like October, you know, November, I'm in a couple leagues that run through March, you know, just bunch of not not anything that's crazy serious but we you know a couple races a night you know once a week and so yeah it just it it does it's it's um it's a very realistic platform and how and how it's set up and you know you're still racing against live people and um yeah there's there's the there's the racing aspect where even though it's on a computer you're you're focused to race people like you would in real life so i do think that that's probably a big thing you know too and in, in helping to you know, keep people sharp maybe over the off season or, you know, just during the week doing things like that too. And, and the kids, I'm sure I, and my rig's not, not, uh, not very, um, you know, fancy or sophisticated. Like I'm sure some people have <laughs> like bells, freaking midget sitting in his house. Yeah. That kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, no, I got a steering wheel <laughs> clamp to a table. So, <laughs> but you know, you said, you know, okay, well in your off season, you're doing this couple races one night a week. <laughs> These kids, I swear to you, they're getting home from the track after going 30 laps in an A-main, and they're hopping on till 4 in the morning doing that. So, yeah, they. I think when it comes to the, the new generation of talent, uh, energy-wise, 
they got us guys lapped. <laughs> yep. When when I was at the Chili Bowl the last time in uh, 2020, they had like the the four or five of them set up that you could race the Chili Bowl. There was a, a couple of the kids that I mean, pretty much they were there all night racing on the on the simulator, and then they go watch the race and come back and be on the simulator all night. You know. So yeah, it's um it's second nature to them to to just be be behind that the wheel of the simulator whenever they're not not in the car. Yeah, so uh, speaking of the younger generation, I got to bring it up. The last couple of years, you've had two big pains in the ass on the USAC East Coast circuit in Briggs and Alex. How, um, you know, going off of three-peat, winning three years in a row, and then these two kids show up, and did it kind of change your mindset on how you need to handle these races? Um, yes and no. I, I felt like, I felt like probably at the end of 2020, I felt like we were probably not at the same place that we were even maybe to start the year. Um, and, and Alex came in the end of that year, Kenny Miller got a couple wins at the yeah. end of, of 20. Um, you know, I felt like we just, um, we probably got a little behind and, and it's one of them things. It's a, I think probably through the end of 20 and even through the off season, you know, leading up to 21, um, we didn't do a whole lot. I mean, we rebuild everything, go through everything, but there wasn't a lot of changes and, and it's hard to, it's hard to think outside the box of things to do when you're, when you're winning, when you're on top. And right. I think we probably got behind, um, to start last year. And then it was, I, I, I won three in a row where I probably couldn't do much wrong. And when there was a hole, I made it through and didn't hit anything or when, when the yellow needed to fall, it fell or not. And last year was just one of them years where it was, it was the opposite when the yellow, you know, some of my own doing, trying to run past what the car could do, trying to keep up. And then others are, you're just a victim of circumstance and, it's just one of them tough years and it's racing and you go through them and you build back better and, and be more prepared and all the stuff. But I think it just combination of a lot of things that put us behind last year. I mean, I think there's three or four races that I could circle that I think, you know, we had a really good shot at winning or, or, you know, being very close, had a yellow not come out or had just little things played out different than, than how they did. But that's, that's part of, part of the sport and part of what it is. But I think through the end of last year, we learned more than I probably did in the two or three years that I won the championship um, just by, by working to chase them guys. And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's the positive of it is, is getting better um, being more competitive across the board. And, and we probably had racetracks where we were, you know, we're our, our specialties like through them first couple of years and just racetracks, we were better and, and other ones that we struggled, but we were still second or third best car. And now if you struggle on them, you're fifth, sixth, seventh. So, you know, it's just, and that's, that's more than just Briggs and Alex. That's the depth of the field of, of everybody that's, you know, that's came into the series as well, but, um, we're working hard to, to get back on top and, um, had a couple close ones this year, had some speed and had some races that were, you know, came in scratching our head why we were as bad as we were. But, um, you know, I think we're, we're definitely close and I think we're, we're getting close to being back to where we need to be consistently to, um, you know, to compete with, with them too. Yeah. Your season has started fairly well to say the least. Um, you know, Bloomsburg, that was kind of a rough deal with car count, but, 
Uh, yeah, a couple of seconds, not too bad to start off the year. Um, is there any tracks that the series hasn't hit yet that you kind of want them to go in that direction to try to get a race in it? Um, I don't know too many. I mean, we hit, we hit pretty many, um, <laughs> you know, really with what's around here. Um, I know there was some stuff scheduled, you know, up, up in New York at different points that got canceled for one reason or another. I haven't seen a lot of them, so I can't really, you know, say that, you know, that I'd like to go here because I've been there and it's been great or something like that. Um, we hit pretty many of the tracks around here that we can hit, I think, you know, realistically with a sprint car. So um, I don't honestly know of too many that we don't. <laughs> so that's kind of the cool part of the of the traveling series and, and it makes it tough. You know, you think you find something you go from, you know, later in the year, we're going to go from a port Royal and, and then like on Wednesday or something, we're going to go to Kutztown. And it's like, you think you find something and you got, you got your car set up for port Royal and you got to figure out how to make it work at Kutztown, you know, two days later or something like that. So I think that's part of the whole, you know, traveling series aspect is trying to be as well-rounded and, and, you know, things like that as you can, that, that can make it difficult when you're trying to chase a setup. Um, or, or the car's not doing something cause it'll do it a little different at different racetracks. So it can make it, make it harder to find that, that sweet spot in a setup and, and get your program rolling hundred percent where you want it just because it's different every week. Um, but that's also what makes it, you know, special to be a champion of, of something like that and know that you put together, you know, a full season of good nights across various racetracks. Yeah. And, and the racetracks around here are so different from top to bottom. One thing I can think of if we're going to stick in the PA realm of things, URC has a show booked this year at Clinton County. And I think if that goes over well, that might be something to pursue. I've heard a lot of good things that they're trying to do at Clinton County. And, you know, even going up into like Accord and Woodhall, two badass tight racetracks. Um, you know, you guys can run at Kutztown. You guys can run them. Um, yeah, we're actually at we're actually at uh, Clinton County later in the year. I think in August we're perfect. there. We have a we have a Bloomsburg Clinton County Port Royal um, little three day weekend that kind of centralized up in that area. So I ran Clinton County once, I think in 2010 with a midget. I want to say um, don't remember much of it. I remember I was there once. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've again the same thing you said. Heard a lot of good things about you know about what they're doing there, and um, you know, interested to see when we get there, you know, what kind of race we have and, and hopefully it's, it's a, you know, a good, good show there for them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, they're working hard and it's good to see some of these tracks that are, you know, some are closing and some are on their last leg. It's good to see ones progressing in a positive direction. Um, <clears throat> now I did want to bring up your winged career just for a hair here i know you haven't ran with a wing on in quite some time is that something you could ever see yourself going back to making an attempt with yeah i mean I, it's a possibility um kind of did it after when i got out of the midget stuff um there really wasn't much else to go to like i was for me it was a career choice decision to go and stick with like open wheel and go to the wing sprint car side you know, or, or to go to like the modified route. And I felt like what my career had been, it was more a sprint car route than to try and not that it's a full switch, but to go the modified route, I felt like it was more, it was more comfortable in the sprint car side of things. And, and, um, you know, went to the ring sprint car side and, and would still probably be doing that if the wingless series didn't come around, um, as this series has gotten to be 30 some races and then trying to throw in the, the non-wing 410 stuff when we can, it, it makes it where, 
to put the, the problem. I think 19 was the last I ran the wing car and I think I ran it six times. And the problem was it just, it took me like half the night to feel like I was back to being smooth enough in the car for like without even racing people. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're putting all the effort in to go to these, to these races, you want to at least show up prepared and ready to go. And just got to a point where I was doing too much non-wing and not enough wing with the time that was allotted in the races that we were going to run to, uh, to do it competitively. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say I hated my time. Like it's, um, it's different, but I didn't, uh, I definitely didn't mind it. Um, and, and something I wouldn't, wouldn't be against doing again, you know, at any point. Yeah. I mean, opportunities are always going to be there. That's a good thing. We are relatively close to central PA. So wing racing is never going to die. Uh, knock on wood. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't, I think if it does, we're in trouble. So uh, I think central PA would riot, but, <laughs> um, so in your opinion, you know, as a fan of this stuff, as well as being a driver, let me just get your thoughts on this. You have Wyndham, KTJ, and Thorson kind of all making a huge directional change here to the wing stuff this year. Who do you think knocks off their first win first? And who do you think succeeds more throughout the year? Um. <laughs> That's tough. I mean, Thorson has probably the most winged experience. Um, which still isn't a lot because, well, yeah, I mean, he did run California out there for a little bit. Um, but it, I think the track, like he's going to travel with the outlaws. So I think Wyndham and KT are probably better suited when they get to some of the, the Ohio stuff and some of the tracks in Indiana that are probably more familiar to them, um, to maybe pick off an all-star show, you know, out there. Um, and I don't want to say that the all-stars are, are easier by any means than, you know, in the outlaw style, but, um, you know, I thought they both looked pretty decent in port at port, um, this weekend. Um, the Grove is the Grove. So we won't, we won't really compare that to much, but, um, you know, for their first couple trips in, into PA with a wing on and in tough company, I thought they both, you know, ran pretty well. And, and, um, you know, all three of them are good drivers. All three of them are with good teams. Um, they're all going to excel eventually, um, you know, in this, in this, they're all winners, and and um, you know if you can figure it out in one division, you know it's the transition comes along because you're you're around good people and, and good teams. Yeah, I, I solely blame this whole big transition of these guys on Timez. You know, he ran that All Star Show at Circle City the other year and snuck himself into a heat win, and then drew the pole for the dash, won the dash, and started on the damn pole at Circle City. We won't talk about where he finished, but. I, I blame it all on team as <laughs> <laughs> it's no, it's just, it's a, it's um the wing stuff is kind of an, and I don't know if it's back through, I don't know the reason if it's through, you know, um, Larson and Bell and some of them guys kind of coming back to the roots and, and maybe the, the dirt presence. Um, you know, I, I like non-wing. I still do. I, I don't, I, I watch a ton of wing races and stuff. I mean, I, I'm a race fan that way too, but it seems like it has really drawn the winged um, sprint car scene, you know, has seen a rise over the last couple of years. Yes. Um, and with that, um, the payouts and, and the other things that go along with it, you know, have too. And um, the ability to race for those payouts, the ability to race more um, when you're racing for a living, it's kind of you have to pick what, you know, 
what uh what makes the most sense and what you can you can make the best living at and i think that's kind of what's drawing drawing everybody there um whether it'll make it to the non-wing side you know with um with payouts big enough to keep people around or not i guess time will time will tell i mean it'd be nice to to race for bigger money i know the extreme deals coming around they're they're offering some more money and it's just more bigger paying races you know for these guys so you know maybe there's some potential to to uh you know to draw them back back over draw some more people to the non-wing stuff yeah i i I look at what the larson effect on super late models just in that regard him starting to run one two years ago and holy shit now there's all these i mean hell the dirt millions coming back this year but i think him going back into the usac stuff and into the wing stuff i it just the attention is there. The focus is there. And on the extreme deal, as you brought up, competition's never necessarily been a bad thing. And I think USAC didn't really have a lot of competition to start off with. Now, there's no conflicting dates that I'm aware of. There might be one or two, but I think it's going to help make USAC better, make bigger paying races and uh, maybe even grow the the depth of the midgets, I'm hoping. Because I think right now there's like a huge four-week gap where they don't even run. So, you know, I think the extreme thing might actually kind of boost up the competition a little bit. Yeah, I agree. It's another, it, it's it's still another 10 shows that are, you know, that are big paying races that these, you know, that, that drivers and teams can go to. Um and I, th- I think maybe there's one at the end of the year that might conflict, but yeah, it's the schedule schedules line up pretty well that, you know, that you can run both and, you know, there's a nice point in fun at the end of it. So there that's, you know, that's all the stuff that, that you look at is what, um you know, what money you can make. And, and I definitely think that there's, there's extra money dumped into the, into the stuff. And, and I think that's a positive regardless of, you know, regardless of the rest, the, the, the payouts being, being higher or more, or braces that offer good pay is definitely a positive. Yeah. These USAC guys aren't necessarily ones that are going into work on Monday morning. So uh, these guys race for a living, and it's nice to see that they can get a bigger paycheck at the end of it. It's time for Green White Checkered on the Four Wide Salute. On our green flag question... What is your go-to post-race food stop? I don't know. I don't have one. I eat when I get home. Um, <laughs> it's rare that I stop and uh, and get any food. I usually uh, usually get get something when I get home. A lot of times, it's a frozen pizza I throw in the microwave. Wow, I'm surprised. You know, you're from the same area I am. I'm surprised. Wawa sheets, even now, rudders didn't come up. I'm very surprised by that. If it would be, I'm more, I'm much more of a Wawa person than a Sheets person. So that's what it would be. But, uh, typically we, uh, typically we just roll right, roll right home. So. All right. White flag question. If you could trade your life with a celebrity for one day, who would it be? And no, you cannot say Kyle Larson. That's a tough one. I feel like it would have to be something in racing for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'd, 
I don't know what defines a celebrity. Well, someone higher than be, your someone higher than your cool stature. To, so I think it'd be cool to drive for a living and and be at a, a NASCAR or a Formula One or an IndyCar level or something of that nature and just. Uh, I think that'd be a cool level to be at. Um, I guess if that's celebrity status, I'm not. I'm not an. That works. Not someone into acting and all that stuff no. to say I'm going to go be an actor. That works. <laughs> that works. See, I was thinking. So uh, you know, everyone has their own definition of celebrity, right? And there's one person I would just love to get inside their brain for one day, just to figure out all the shit they know. That'd be Davy Brown. That would be a good. Absolutely. Just. To, I just was thinking to, like. I was thinking Steve Kinzer, like that's who I grew there up watching go. and everything else, like kind of of that nature and, and to go through, you know, all the, all the races and all the things that, that he did at that point or, or Richard Petty kind of deal like of that, you know, just to see all the things and to have the experiences that they had, you know, through the, the transition of the sports that they were in basically as, as you know, when they started how grassroots it really was to, you know, when they retired, what level like the sports rat, like it'd be cool to go through that kind of a sport transition, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. No, good answer. And our checkered flag question, you can take home one animal from the zoo. What are you taking home? A monkey. Oh, boy. That's probably close to being you, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think that'd be cool. I don't know how long it would last that it'd be cool, but I feel like it'd be cool. That's good. That's good. I could just see you with an orangutan walking through the pits. All right. Yeah. That, I mean, like, I feel like that'd be cool. Because <laughs> you would be the one holding the damn orangutan's hand or it'd be hanging from you, one of the two. That's yep, good. Just walking through the pits. That's good. Let's see now. That's the way you end a podcast. That That's good. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, that's a good. That's a, I, I like that. I do. We're going we're gonna to have to figure that one out. <laughs> Oh, someone's going to give you a stuffed orangutan. I can just see it coming now. <laughs> oh, Probably have a big diamond or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that might have to be arranged. But uh, <laughs> on that note, I do appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, good luck this weekend. You know, which which one are you thinking you like more, Delaware or Bridgeport? I, I, uh, I, like, I like Delaware a lot. I wish, uh, I wish it was about three hours closer. But um, <laughs> other than that, no, I mean, I, I like them both. I think... Um, Always like Delaware. Um, they usually give us a great track to race on. Um, Bridgeport has done, um, you know, what, what he's done there to create a racetrack that you can you can run pretty much anywhere and, and really race around. Um, you know, it's definitely definitely a fun place to go to as a driver. So um, I think both of them both of them should be good shows and, um, you know, looking forward to, to two good races and, and hopefully some good results. All right. Sounds good, man. And uh, knock them dead. And I'll be sure to catch up with you sooner than later. Will do. Thanks for having me on. 